on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who processes all of the unrequested information, possibly, maybe, unbelievably. What does it all mean? He knows. He's the captain. The only thing I know is I know nothing. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are still sipping on this fine N-E-I-P-A that's called Instant Snowman from Forked Crick Brewery. If you like juicy, hazy IPAs, you'll want to be refreshed all at the same time. Get you some Instant Snowman ABV 6.5% garage grade 4 out of 5 bottle caps. And let's give some praise and thank you to our friends that helped us out with this week's set of shows. First up, it's a long-distance cheers to Irene in Wellington, New Zealand. And a big we like your jib to Sarah in Big Fork, Montana. And last but certainly not least, we have a double cheers going out to Jenny in Ashtabula, Ohio, and Grace over in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. Everybody we mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com, clicked on the donate button, and helped us out with this week's beer run. Yeah, B-W-R-U-N, beer run, get you some. Go to the store page, get yourself a shirt, get yourself a hat, get yourself a hoodie. 20% off. Use the code BEERME20, all capital letters, BEERME20, to get 20% off in the store. And that is enough of the business. BEERME20. If you don't want to be one of those people that just blends in, get yourself a True Crime Garage shirt, hoodie, or hat, and you'll stand out like that. That's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. We start off today's show by going through an old newspaper article. We won't go through every word, every sentence, every paragraph. However, this I find to be by far the best article ever written about the Nancy Eagleson unsolved homicide case. The article is titled, Girl Slayer Remains at Large, Paulding Crime Still Unsolved. And this is from five years after the murder took place. And it's written by a Lima News staff writer by the name of Gene Rockwell, who did gangbusters work on this article, because again, I believe it to be the best and most thorough. And it's rather updated as well, as you will see as we go through this article. And it reads, somewhere a man walks the streets, outwardly as inconspicuous as anyone. 
But with the burden of knowing five years ago, he molested and murdered a young Paulding high school girl, subjected her little sister to a lasting emotional shock, and blemished the family. This man, more horrible than any fictional monster, shot 14-year-old Nancy Lee Eagleson to death following a criminal assault on the evening of November 13, 1960. Perhaps in such a twisted personality, there is no capacity for regret or remorse, or perhaps his waking and sleeping hours are haunted by the memory of what he has done. The history of such crime reveals many motives for the slaying of a rape victim. Usually, the victim is slain to prevent future identification of the attacker. Sometimes the force of the attack itself is sufficient to cause death. Nancy was brutally shot in the head by her unknown assailant. No clues to the murderer have turned up after five years of investigation by the Paulding County Sheriff's Department. At 7.40 p.m. that Sunday, Nancy and her sister Cheryl, then five, were walking along Jackson Street in northeast Paulding on their way home from a movie. Their father, Don, operated a bowling alley in Paulding on the weekends, and during the week, he was employed at International Harvester in Fort Wayne. He was at the bowling alley that night. Their mother, Betty, also worked, and instead of waiting for their father, the girls decided to walk home from the movie since Mrs. Eagleson would be home at that time. Mrs. Eagleson was asked last week about the crime and about the failure of police to solve it. Mrs. Eagleson said Cheryl, now 10 years old, is still terrified by the memory of that never-to-be-forgotten night. Quote, I can talk about it now, Mrs. Eagleson said, but Don doesn't say very much about it. It really broke him up. They say a woman can adjust to something like Nancy's death better than a man, or can cover their feelings more or something. Maybe that's the way it is with me. I hide the hurt, keep it inside. Mrs. Eagleson said Cheryl has deep emotional scars from the events of that night. Cheryl loved Nancy, the mother noted. They were inseparable, but Cheryl has changed now. She isn't a loving child anymore. She's afraid to get close to anyone emotionally for fear she might lose them as she lost Nancy. Nancy would have been 19 now, her mother said, and in college. The bereaved mother said she does not blame police or the sheriff's department for their failure to solve the crime. I believe they did the best they could do, she said. She thinks the slayer is from Paulding or immediate area. He has to be, she declared. He knew his way around too well. However, her husband believes the killer was a hunter, not from the area, probably staying in a motel, and committed the crime on the spur of the moment, melting back into his home region when it was over. Mrs. Eagleson still gets a lot of calls, mostly from cranks, saying they know the identity of the slayer. None of them have proven authentic. Mrs. Eagleson's theory, the crime is that the girls were seen by the killer as they were sipping Cokes in a local restaurant on their way home from the matinee movie. Along Jackson Street, Cheryl said the man slowed the car and asked the girls if they wanted to ride. She said Nancy replied, no, we're only a few doors away from home. Cheryl said the man stopped the car and asked Nancy directions. He got out of the auto, Cheryl recalled and came around the front in the full glare of the headlights. He grabbed Nancy by the arm and during the ensuing struggle, pushed his victim to the ground. Cheryl said she tried to grab the man by the shoulders, but he struck her in the stomach, knocking her to the ground. She said she did not see the man strike Nancy, but he placed her inside the car opposite the driver's seat. The man got in and drove away as Cheryl screamed. Mrs. Eagleson said Cheryl told her the man smelled like he had been drinking, but her theory is that the girl smelled chloroform or some similar substance, which accounted for Nancy's submission after the frantic struggle. Mrs. Eagleson theorizes her daughter was not killed where the body was found, but elsewhere, 
then was left by the Slayer, where she was discovered by the hunters. Paulding County Sheriff John Keeler was asked last week if the case is closed. He said, certainly not. These cases are never closed. Every now and then, we get a lead and a possible suspect. We check out these leads thoroughly, but so far, no luck at all. Keeler said he was convinced the Slayer was not from the Paulding area. The man is sick, the sheriff observed. He can't help himself. He would have killed again. We would have had another slaying on our hands if he were a local man. Cheryl described the man who killed her sister as about 5 feet 8 inches tall, heavy with a belly like Santa Claus. He wore horn-rimmed glasses, possibly with thick lenses that made his eyes appear larger than normal. She stated she believed he was crippled. A man who broke out of Michigan City, Indiana prison a month before Nancy was killed and who subsequently was executed in Tulsa, Arizona for a similar crime was checked and cleared of the Paulding slaying. Another man from the Paulding area charged with rape in Napoleon and acquitted was consequently convicted of a rape slaying in Detroit, Michigan. His method of operation was similar to the man's who killed Nancy but he also was investigated and cleared. So the man who slew Nancy Lee Eagleson is still at large, free to commit another crime. Police officials believe he will or has, that he acted under a compulsion, a mental illness, and could not help himself. Officers stress this certainly does not excuse the man, but points to the dire necessity of his apprehension. Well, there's so much there to unpack, so let's do some of that, if you don't mind. One, let's go for it. what's your theories on if this man is local or not? Here's the thing. If the two things that the family has told us, and this is things that have been told to us by people outside of the family as well, if the phone lines were cut to the Eagleson home that night, if in fact somebody did try to abduct Cheryl weeks after Nancy's murder, I think those not just point to, but for me, seal the deal that this was a local guy. Everything outside of that tells me that this was somebody that was looking for a victim and may have traveled to this area and found the victim there that night, unfortunately. Right. But we could have an individual that has to travel here for work. And so that they would be back in the area multiple times. To me, it's too brazen. You're going to leave an eyewitness that sees you that possibly, like I said, in church, school, somewhere is able to identify you. The other thing that's tricky, too, because it no longer exists to this day. But back in 1960, it's my understanding that there was a hospital in the area. And I've been told that it may have been between the abduction location and where Nancy Eagleson's body was eventually found, which is very weird to me. Again, that drive felt very quick to me. It almost felt like somebody abducted her and either had to stop at this location or stopped at this location for some reason, Right. would have passed the hospital. And again, I believe that it was on Route 111. So... Could somebody have been in the area for work because they were working at that hospital or could they have been visiting a loved one or a friend or somebody that they knew that was in the hospital? Now, I don't know if law enforcement did this, but I'm, I'm guessing no, because within two days they're saying we're at a standstill. I'm going to the restaurant and just asking, was any was there any single male eating alone? that possibly saw them go into the restaurant and then, oh, they're leaving, I'm going to follow them out. Or look for locals, um, local hotels or motels and see if there was any single men staying in the area. That would give me at least some kind of lead to, to go on. The other thing that is bizarre here too, Captain, is that you could have a situation where somebody spotted the girls walking alone or spotted the girls as the mother suspects sipping sodas at the restaurant and decides then and there, Hey, I'm going to take one of these girls. Right. And 
The reason why I say that that seems to be likely is that according to Cheryl's accounts, and it was key to me to read that article because we see how Cheryl's accounts kind of, I don't want to use the word change, but she seems to be able to fill in some of the blanks later as she got older. She was 10 at the time of that article. It was 1965. But according to Cheryl's account, the vehicle, there was a vehicle parked at that PLOX, the old abandoned gas station, no longer in operation, on the corner that they passed before the vehicle approached them. I am of the belief that that may be the same vehicle, that the person saw the girls walking, they walked past him, he pulls up in the vehicle alongside of them, following them. He's He would have been following them very shortly after they walked past P-Locks. Right. Now, one could have spotted these girls and then decided to position themselves at P-Locks to intercept them before they get home. To do that, if that was, in fact, the killer's plan to intercept them before they got home, well, then that means he already knew where the girls lived. And so, therefore, he likely would be a local man or at least somebody that knew Nancy in some form or fashion or knew her family. Well, and might know that the husband is not going to be there. The The husband, the father, is going to be working at the bowling alley during this time. So the only person that's going to be home is the mother. But again, I know where you live, so I'm going to intercept you. Now, I think she made a great point because she brings up chloroform. And what we were saying before is if you're taking your victim, and we're not talking about like a, a very small victim or a very young victim. It is a child, but she's 14. Mm-hmm. So she's going to have the capability of putting up a, a fight. So the mom brings up a good point. Is it possible that this murderer grabbed her and then um, was able to subdue her with chloroform? And it could be a combination of both because she says, well, what I think my daughter was smelling the, the eyewitness, Cheryl, the alcohol or chloroform. It could be a combination of both. This guy might have been heavily intoxicated and then started driving around looking for a a victim. A lot of times these types will ingest things like alcohol or drugs to build them up to a situation so that they don't chicken out or they don't, they, they want to build themselves up to carry through with whatever it is their sick fantasy or plan is. And then if it is in fact chloroform, we're talking about a whole different level of premeditation one but two possible criminal sophistication as well this to me if it was in fact chloroform and we don't we simply don't know and until the case is solved we will not know but if it was chloroform then that tells me this guy has either done something like this before or he had been studying up on doing something like this and thought about it for a good deal of time studying Doing research, planning. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, got an email the other day saying, stop calling these murderers animals because that's not fair to animals. That's probably not fair. This, it's fair uh, to the hyenas. Yeah, this guy's a hyena. I mean, this guy's a real piece of shit. And again, I, 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 I lean towards the idea that the person was from that area originally but not anymore, did not live in that area. Maybe a rental car. That's a other thing. Rental car. Is it possible that this person had a rental car and then and that would be another thing that people could uh, spend some time investigating? The chloroform would also go along with the thought that maybe some portion of this man's clothing or the glasses were, in fact, some type of disguise. What's really weird to me is under hypnosis, Cheryl says that the man was skinny, but in this news article, it's saying that she believed that he was a heavy man with a belly like Santa Claus. So those are two very different things. But we also know that it's not un- terribly uncommon for criminals to layer their clothing or to wear larger clothing than necessary to give the appearance a different physical appearance. Right. And that's that's the tough thing, too. When you look at the composite sketch to me, not not the one where you're looking at him, um, you know, face to face, but the one where you're looking 
to him uh, where he's on from the side. To me, it looks like he was almost like slicking back his hair. Again, is that the way he wears his hair or is that a, a ruse? This to me, the composite sketch to me looks like one of two things, or, or it could be a combo of both, I guess. It looks to me like somebody that is dressed to potentially go visit somebody at the hospital or to work there, or it's a man that was still wearing his Sunday church attire and just remained in that attire throughout the day of Sunday and maybe went into town and went out to a restaurant right? or, you know, and then spotted the girls somewhere as they walked. It'd be interesting to know, and it's too much to ask Cheryl to recall something like this. There's no way that she would be able to recall this, but it would be interesting to know if they were talking about walking home. Like if they were openly talking about that at any point in their evening and, and the wrong person heard them caught wind that, Oh, they might be by themselves. And then you think about the idea that the phone lines were cut at the Eagleson home. If in fact that were true to me, that makes me think, well, maybe the killer thought that they would end up home alone and thought of abducting Nancy there. Right. Then it makes me want to question the family. Was the mother supposed to be somewhere and not? That's a very good question. And here's my thought on that. I I can't answer for the family, but here's my suspicions. So we know that the father, Don, was working at the bowling alley, which he regularly did on the weekends. And what I've been told by everybody that knew Don, they said that he worked at the bowling alley probably for a little extra money, but it was also like that was his number one hobby. It's fun. Right. He, he likes to bowl. It's a fun job. He likes to hang out at the bowling alley. Probably got free bowling. Right. And you know what's great about bowling alleys too? They often sell beer. We like mm-hmm. beer. And pretzels. So the thing here is- Don't from, forget the pretzels. From my understanding is that it was very common for Don and his wife, Betty, the, the two Eagleson adults, the two Eagleson parents, to go to the bowling alley and hang out together. Was this a night, like you said, Captain, that maybe Mrs. Eagleson was supposed to be at the bowling alley with her husband, Don, but for whatever reason, it fell through or at the last minute she decided not to go? If that's true, if that is true, and obviously somebody in the family could answer that, to me, I'd put a higher, uh, way higher percentage at this point that they know this individual, if that was the case. I mean, it could be happenstance that here's this person in town, sees these girls walking, and they're, they are walking because their father is working. Their mother is going to visit the father at, at work. So that does put you in that happenstance. But mm, starts at that point, it would start leaning towards this idea that they might know this kidnapper. They might know this murderer. This murderer might be somebody... A uh, family friend that maybe Cheryl just has not been able to, maybe somebody that doesn't come around as often anymore. Uh, but again, how much of what they were wearing and how they were doing their hair and all that stuff, how much was that their identity and how much of it was a ruse? Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids 
that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at Factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers to everybody. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. All right. Well, we have praised the sheriff, John Keeler, for his efforts and for his wisdom and for his A work ethic. Yes. And for reaching out to other jurisdictions, thinking outside of the box, if you will. That was something that wasn't done back then. So we praised him for that. We criticized him in his investigation for not being able to recover tire tracks at either the abduction scene or where Nancy was eventually found. Right. We also criticized, but said that maybe the newspaper is to blame for the weird statement of, well, the case is pretty much at a standstill just days into the investigation. 
I did criticize him for saying that we don't know. He's kind of discounting Cheryl's account that the man was wearing glasses, which I think is a big misstep by the sheriff. But here is a huge misstep, and I don't know if Sheriff Keeler is to blame or who is to blame, but somebody was certainly at fault here. Because in 1985, that's right, we're jumping ahead 20 years in the timeline from 65 to 85. And why are we pointing to 1985? Well, that's because in 1985, Nancy's family discovered that the physical evidence that was collected at the scene where she was found was lost or misplaced or discarded. The sheriff's office in Paulding County no longer had any evidence in Nancy's case. Now, there were several persons or several agencies that were involved in the chain of custody of this evidence. So it may not fall on the sheriff's department, but who do you think is going to get the blame when evidence is missing? It's going to be the investigating agency. They are the ones that are charged with securing that evidence no matter who had it at what point. Yes, they're going to get the blame, but come on, law enforcement, do your job. You're here to serve and protect and you're not protecting or serving by losing this evidence. So where we are today, and we're going to jump back here in a second, but I want to focus on this now while we are talking about missing evidence because it will make sense. We are trying to exhume Nancy Eagleson. That is for the purpose of collecting additional evidence, right? We mentioned that the lack of nail clippings. We mentioned the lack of semen samples. And we don't know if those are things that we are even going to be able to get once we exhume her. It would seem unlikely, but there's a possibility given it's, you know, it's unlikely because it's been 62 years and things get lost to, to, to time and decay. But the other idea here, Captain, is could some of these items, because this evidence was personal items, these were personal items in nature compared to uh, with our victim here, mm-hmm. could some of these items be have been buried with her? It's certainly a possibility, That's and it's possibility. something that we're very hopeful that that, 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 that possibility remains. And it's, again, this is not maybe something that the family would know and so can be hopeful of because Cheryl, again, was five at the time. So she's not going to just, there's no way she's going to remember every single detail. And, you know, mom lived a very long life. Unfortunately, Betty is no longer with us. But keep in mind, these are things that parents could forget or be unaware of at the time. There's a lot going on. They just lost a child unexpectedly. So again, it's something that we're hopeful for. And that's why somebody like Porchlight, that's why we are jumping in. We are getting involved. You know, we can't save Nancy Eagleson. We can't help Nancy. This isn't quantum leap where we can go back in time and right a wrong or protect somebody or save someone. What we can do is try to help and save the sisters that are still alive to this day. Cheryl, can you imagine? She's the level of victim that she is, how victimized she has been and traumatized she has been all of these years. If we can find some form of justice for the Eagleson family, it will be a big win. Not for Porchlight. It will be a big win for Paulding County and this community. And the Eagleson family. Yeah. Big win and but so much frustration still to this day. This captain will bring us to December 1st, 2010. And this is reporting from the local newspaper, which is called the Paulding County Progress. And they're doing a ongoing story of continuing to cover the Nancy Eagleson case and investigation. And they're doing this article, and it's a rather lengthy one. But it's featuring a man named Don Rodenhouse. Now, Don Rodenhouse says that he was a witness to the abduction. And this is very strange to me. This is something that I'm incredibly curious about. So Don Rodenhouse says that he pulls up 
and he sees two people in a vehicle that look like they are fighting. And he says his sister is with him. And the sister who's riding shotgun tells Don, Hey, that's, you know, that doesn't look like two adults. That looks like a a little girl. Right. Because I think Don thought maybe it was just a, some kind of domestic situation. Yeah. Boyfriend, girlfriend, two adults fighting, what have you. But then little sis points out, no, that doesn't appear to be a grown up. That appears to be a little girl. And, Don says it's the flailing arms that he and his sister saw Nancy Eagleson fighting this man back. He's holding her by like the hair or the the head and trying to push her down, maybe to conceal her from any passerbys or people in the area as he's fleeing from the abduction scene. Right. But he says that while he the abductor is trying to push Nancy down, Nancy is trying to throw smacks or punches at the attacker. And this would be kind of like a, a, a sidearm, I guess you will. It's like a, a swimming motion almost. And he says that they, the vehicle was, was speeding quite heavily, which makes sense. The man would have been fleeing from the abduction scene with a victim in his car. And Don says that they gave chase. They tried to follow the vehicle, but at some point the vehicle lost them. Now, he says that the following morning, he reported this to the authorities, Mm -hmm. saying that when he woke up the next day, he learned that of the murder. Remember, Nancy was found overnight. And when he learned of the murder, and where they found Nancy's body, he knows where he was driving. He says he was driving on Route 111, where Nancy was abducted from. He contacts the police and says, tells them the story that we just told you. And he says, to throw a little shade here on the Sheriff's Department, back in 1960, he says that he doesn't believe that they they may not have taken him seriously because he says that at no point did they ever follow up with him that he reported the information and they never approached him again to ask him to tell his story again. And he says that back in 1960, he believed that he could have described the vehicle in great detail. Now, why he didn't describe it in great detail when he spoke to the sheriff on the day when he reported it, I don't know. But his words make it sound like either he wasn't prompted to do so or decided not to do so because he thought that they would follow up. Here becomes the problem. We, a lot of problems. We were privy to some, some insider information in this case. And the portion of the sheriff's office file on Nancy Eagleson's case does not reveal that Don Rodenhouse reported this the day after Nancy was killed. Now he very, very well may have, but there's nothing indicating that he did this other than this newspaper article, his own words. So when I hear a story like this, I go, this is very problematic for me. One, his story is problematic, but it's problematic for me as a storyteller here in the garage. I don't know how to take this captain. Is this simply a guy that's, tried to do a good deed, tried to help somebody out back in 1960 and has come forward all these years later and is still trying to help out. Is this just a good guy? Or we've seen this before. It wouldn't be the first time. And if it is the case, it won't be the last time. It could be the case that this man just injected himself into the investigation. He wants to know what law enforcement knows. Yeah, he's a local, so he'd know the area. But... The thing that he has going for him is his sister was with him. So isn't that a pretty solid alibi for the time of the crime? It would be if he, in fact, did report this back in 1960. Right. If we could find proof positive that he didn't report it back then, or if we could find proof positive that she didn't back his story in 1960, or nobody else backed this story in 1960, wouldn't we want to know why 50 years later he's telling this story? It, the other problem too, 
is the details inside the story itself. Where Cheryl, she states that she didn't see her. She sees her sister looking back. Right. But also the suspicion that maybe she was chloroformed. So she was, she would have been knocked out. She would have been out. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't be somebody with flailing arms in the back seat. Yeah. If that is, if that's what happened. Right. Now, could she have come to woke up and try to fight off her attacker? Yes. That's a possibility. The other problem though, is he says he chases after the vehicle and the vehicle loses him. The problem with that captain is if in fact the attacker went from abduction site to where Nancy was eventually found, we already talked about that's pretty much a straight shot. You go around two curves and boom, it's a straight shot. It's difficult to lose somebody on a straight shot. Yeah. Many pieces of his story just don't add up, but you want to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt because it's a traumatic situation. It's a stressful situation, but also uh, the time gap. There's been a lot of time that has passed. Right. And so things that would point to Don Roanhouse, his statement being questionable, his statement being suspicious would be this for me. Is he concocting this story so that there is a reason why somebody would have seen his vehicle at that location that night in the abduct in the area of the abduction, the night that the abduction took place, his story explains it away and his sister. And I'm putting that in air quotes being there with him would also give him an alibi as to, yeah, I wasn't the bad guy in this story. I'm the good guy in this story. So there's, there are some questionable things here, but again, it's, it really truly is either one or the other. Either he's just a good guy that tried to do a good thing and help somebody and the bad guy won, or he's the bad guy. It's very tricky, very tricky. And I know that there are people in Paulding to this day that are very suspicious of Don's story and of Don himself. Well, I'm sure there's tons of people, teachers, school bus drivers, um, people that have never got married that live in the town alone. There's probably a, a whole list of people that people are suspect of because you have this crime that happened to such a young, beautiful girl, and there's no answers. So, But this brings us up to 2011. It, yes, it does in our timeline, but I do want to speak to what you just said there, Captain. Nope. And, nope. and I think that that's a very astute an insightful statement that you just gave because to this day, the suspicions of the locals, the people that have been around since 1960, the people that knew Nancy, people that went to school with her right, or people that knew her parents. This is a small town. This is a small town murder. It affected the whole community. The community is not healed nor moved past the murder of Nancy Eagleson and they shouldn't. Because it's unresolved. There's no justice here. And if the killer was a local man, he could still be local to this day. He could still be alive. There are many people that have been suspected by the public throughout the years that are still alive and still in the town or near Paulding, Ohio. Now, you said that it could be a teacher, a school bus driver, you know, a mechanic, anybody. You could look at all these people and raise an eyebrow and go, well, maybe it was him. Maybe it was that guy. Maybe it was a local all along. And that certainly has been the case for 62 years in Paulding, Ohio, where the list of suspects per the public, man, it runs the entire town of Paulding. Nobody is safe from suspicion. The sheriff, John Keeler, right. has been suspected by people to this day as possibly either have committed the crimes or covered up the crimes because it was committed by somebody he may may know. Now, Yeah, and they go, well, look, it's not soft. It should be solved. There's a reason it's not solved. Oh, the reason is you're covering for somebody. The reason is you're covering for yourself. This is what happens. These are how these rumors uh, build and grow throughout the years. So I'll give you a few examples. One example is Virgil Johnson that we talked about, the restaurant owner. 
One thing that people have pointed out that isn't really something of evidence, we talked about the blood earlier, but one thing that was pointed out about Virgil was there's a story that says that he, he had a daughter that was roughly Nancy's age, but he was on the phone with Nancy a week, maybe two weeks before she was killed, inviting her to go skating, roller skating with his daughter. And when she said no, she couldn't go because she had a previous engagement or or something that was already planned, or maybe mom and dad just wouldn't let her go for whatever reason, he, he became angry with her and angry at the situation that she would not go skating. He was going to take his daughter and several of her friends skating. And to me, that's a very bizarre, if that's true, that's a very weird scenario. One, for a grown man to call his daughter's friend. Two, to be angry that she wouldn't go. I'm 40 years old. I do not care if a 14-year-old goes skating or not. It affects me zero, right? I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be sad no matter how it shakes out. Another interesting story. Is that you're not 40? Is that either a day before or a week before her death, Nancy babysat for the bowling alley owner. This was somebody that was well-known, obviously, to Nancy's family. She babysat their child. She tells her parents after the experience, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going over there again. But doesn't give any further explanation as to why. It could be something as simple as maybe the father shortchanged her. Or maybe it was an unpleasant experience because the kid that she babysat sucked really bad. Or could it be that she went over there to babysit and learned that uh, the dad's a creep? Yeah, he pulled out his pee-pee. It's an interesting story. Pulled a Louis C.K. Could it have anything to do with this case? Difficult to say. Showed his turtle head. Another situation, and this is directly related to the sheriff, John Keeler, at the time, was that it's been reported that when he was out looking for Nancy, now keep in mind the coroner would list Nancy's approximate time of death as 9 p.m., November 13, 1960. At approximately 8.30 that night, we have Nancy's parents who are in a car with their friends. They are driving around frantically looking for their daughter or the vehicle that took their daughter. They go out Route 111, as anybody would, because that's the direction that we are told that the vehicle was traveling that took Nancy. So you go out that way, and when they got out that way, they get to the intersection where you have to make a left to continue on Route 111, or you can go straight, and now you are on Paulding County Road 176. Her body was found off of that road. This is approximately 8.30. The coroner says that she died at approximately 9 p.m. that night. There's reason to believe It's certainly possible that the killer and the victim could have been at that location at that time. But also at that location is Sheriff John Keeler, who tells the Eaglesons and their friends who are out looking for Nancy, go look elsewhere because I already checked back here. There's nothing back here. Many people have wondered, did he find something And was he covering for somebody or was he covering for himself and trying to direct people away from where Nancy was eventually found? The other possibility, though, is he was just a good man out trying to do a good thing and trying to help Nancy and help the situation and for whatever reason didn't see a car or didn't see Nancy and moved past and did, in fact, do as he said. I just searched back here. There's nothing here. Well, and that's not where this story ends. There's more to the story. Possibly. And who knows if this is related to all of that portion Well, I of should it. say probably more to the rumors. Yes. Yeah. Because what we have that, that takes place is many years later, John Keeler's son, John Keeler Jr., his wife goes and tells police that Jr. killed Nancy and was responsible. Now, Jr. would have been... Of driving age, he would have been a little bit older than Nancy, a handful of years older. So it's certainly a possibility. The thing, though, that I keep going back to, though, is the statement of Cheryl saying that she didn't know how old the man was, but she believed 
off of that short experience that the man was older than her father or appeared to be older than her father. Right. And so Junior would not fall into that category, wouldn't fall anywhere close to being in that category. The other thing, too, that I have a problem with, and I'm not saying that we should discount the sheriff and say he's perfectly innocent or that the son is innocent or the sheriff didn't cover for somebody. I just, I simply don't know. But what my gut tells me is that, no, that the sheriff probably was not covering for somebody because look at what he did. We can learn, we can learn from the actions of his investigation. When you got to go with your gut, your nut and your butt that he was trying to solve this case, right? He was contacting other agencies, other law enforcement agencies. If he was trying to cover up something he did or something that he knew the person that did it and was trying to cover for them, right? he wouldn't be reaching out to other agencies. That just brings, that could bring somebody into the area that is an expert and come in and see it for what it is and go, nope, the sheriff did this or nope, the sheriff knows who did this. Yeah. Not to cock a poo poo all over your idea, but maybe you'd only do that if you're able to control the outside entity, you know, oh, well I can uh, bring them on board but I'm going to do so so that then I can see what they're going to investigate, see what leads they, they generate. And then that I can kind of steer the direction because even though you bring outside, uh, bring in outside sources, you're still the lead in command. The other thing too, if he, if he were to cover for somebody, another thing that presents the idea and points to me that he was not covering for anybody would be the fact that he had several opportunities to have a scapegoat for this crime. Yeah, good point. Robert Lee Stovall was arrested and suspected immediately in both murders. And yet he investigates Stovall and basically says it wasn't Stovall. Virgil Johnson was investigated and even suspected to the point of the public that they were ready to string this man up and kill him. And yet he steps in, intervenes, and says it wasn't Virgil Johnson. Thomas Ball, convicted of similar crimes, Keeler says didn't do it, clears him. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a guy that is trying to cover up a crime or cover for somebody. He had multiple opportunities to blame this on somebody that the public very likely would have accepted right. as the perpetrator of this murder, and he didn't do that. He investigated them and decided that they did not do it, leaving it open for whoever actually did it, whether he's covering for them or not, to be charged and convicted of this crime. Now, I presented that argument to the people that think that there, that there were some misdealings by the sheriff's office and said, look, this is why the sheriff didn't do it. This is why he wasn't covering for somebody. And I think it's a valid argument. But then they present the flip side of that coin to me and they say, was that happenstance or was that done on purpose? Well, normally the older cases don't they don't get to me like the newer cases or the the more recent cases. But this one, it seems like there's a couple missteps, but there doesn't seem like there's a blatant, you know, moron in, in law enforcement. You know, it just, it, it just seems like maybe a couple missteps or maybe just where they just didn't have information on certain things. But this seems like it was definitely solvable. Well, and that was my personal opinion as well when reviewing this case was I actually thought that the sheriff worked it pretty well for 1960. Again, not perfect on the investigation, but I thought that, that Keeler did some good work on this case. And I know that the current sheriff, Jason Landers, he has strong feelings about this case as well. And he too believes that it possibly could be still solved to this day. And that's why Porchlight and other people are getting involved. That's why the garage is reminding people about this old case because it's not been solved and we need to figure out what happened here. Now, previous sheriffs, and I want to be clear here, the current sheriff spoke at length with us about this case. And so he deserves plenty of kudos for that. He went out of his way, giving up his valuable time to speak with us about Nancy's unsolved case. He does not fully agree with this, but he passed this along to me. He said that previous sheriffs believe that a man named Mark Hodges committed this murder. 
Now, Mark Hodges looks really good for something like this, something like Nancy's attack and her murder, because he was believed to be driving around the area of Northwest Ohio back in the day in the 60s, committing very similar crimes. And I say believed because Hodges is a slippery dude. He's one of these guys, Captain, that he was brought to trial multiple times for rape, multiple times for attempted murder, multiple times for murder. He seemed to get acquitted every single time. Now, I did not have the ability to review those court proceedings or those trials, but what my gut tells me on Mark Hodges, sometimes where there's smoke, there is fire. And with Mark Hodges, there's just too much damn smoke, man. He's repeatedly accused and tried, not arrested, not suspected by the public, tried, brought to trial for similar crimes, and then eventually convicted in one of those crimes. So I see a guy like Mark Hodges and I go, it's not impossible. It's not out of the realm of possibility to believe he could have been there. He could have been the one that abducted and killed Nancy Eagleson. Now, we should point out that in 2011, a agency that is near and dear to our hearts, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, they went to Paulding, Ohio. They met with the sheriff's office. They collected evidence, and we are not allowed to say what it is. We've been asked to not say what that evidence was. But they collected evidence back then that will help lead to a conviction if they find the right person. So that is a bright spot in this investigation. And then in August of 2022, this year, John DeMuth has filed a motion in Paulding County Probate Court to allow the body of Nancy Eagleson to be disinterred from the local cemetery where she was buried nearly 62 years ago. A hearing is set for this September, for September 20th, to determine if we will be allowed to do that. And I'm begging. We need to be able to do this because it's the last hope. It's our last chance at justice. There very likely could be something of strong evidentiary value found. Well, I don't think this is going to hurt the case. And I think maybe us covering it and, and this happening in the news will bring more attention and maybe bring some more leads. And, and maybe we can get some actual evidence to test in this crime. But it's always a good case when you, you know it's a good case when the colonel is getting fired up in the garage. So today we sit here with this case remaining unsolved since 1960. Nancy Eagleson's family is still searching for answers to her murder from more than 60 years ago. This case is extensive in time and in materials. But listen, the current sheriff is passionate about this case. There will be a fundraiser that will be held this September 18th to help raise money for the exhumation of Nancy to help further along her investigation and her case and get justice for the people of Paulding and for the Eaglesons and for her sisters. So I encourage anybody that's in the area to go and experience that and take part in that fundraiser on September 18th in Paulding, Ohio. Sheriff Jason Landers believes that this case could still be solved. He's a good man. He's a reasonable man. If you know something about this crime, please contact the Paulding County Sheriff's Office at 419-399-3791. Thank you so much for joining us here each and every week. We appreciate it. We love whispering into your sweet earlobes. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the listeners? This week, we are coming to you with an ask for a little bit of help. We don't ask for help very often here at the garage, but we're asking that you take a little bit of time and go to Porchlight 
www.porchlightonline.org. That is the website for the nonprofit organization, the Porchlight Project, which is assisting the Eagleson family in hopes of exhuming Nancy Eagleson's body and then reinvestigating, opening up this investigation again for one last crack at justice for Nancy Eagleson and for her family members. Please go to porchlightonline.org. And if you wish to make a donation, that will go directly toward the Nancy Eagleson case. We thank you so much in advance for any help that you are able to offer. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't let it. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.